We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by the Genesis Company coming at you Wednesday morning, now February, February 1st. And as I am every Wednesday, I'm joined today by Wolves beat writer, Pioneer Press, Jace Frederick. How you doing, Jace? Hey, good, man. I'm, I'm ready for, uh, I don't know. I'm still just like getting my body adjusted to having a home game like every night, every other night. <laughs> How did Tom Brady do it for 25 years? He didn't do well, that. he played once a week. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I could do this this once a week. I could do it forever. Are you, are you okay with Tommy hanging it up? Yeah. I actually grew to be more and more of a Tom Brady fan over the last couple of years. Like, I really liked his doc on ESPN uh, that, that documented all the Super Bowls. I liked his social media stuff. It was, like, just funny enough, but not being, never obnoxious. So, like, I appreciated that daddy. The, the personality. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> um, and... But it was like good dad humor, and but I do think like watching this last year, like either maybe maybe it was their team, maybe he just wasn't as good. <clears throat> I don't know. It wasn't as enjoyable to watch Tom Brady in this last season, particularly not that wild card game. So like, I'm good with it. Um, maybe maybe he would have corrected course this next year, but if he didn't, I don't want to watch like multiple seasons of Tom Brady and being like, dude, be done. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's that's the the worst thing. I don't know why my head goes to KG there. Uh, is is Tom Brady right older than Kevin Garnett? Is Kevin Garnett wait? K- Tom Brady is forty five. KG is what? I think he was like thirty nine. Yeah, he's probably about the same age. Isn't that crazy? That's like just because of how long KG has been out. And I get it. Like you know, you can say oh, blank played until this long. Like quarterbacks, like the only thing where you can actually do that. Uh, right. But yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty wild. Like KG is forty six. Forty six. Tom's forty five. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um. Well, that is not what we're gonna be talking about today. Is Kevin Garnett, and Tom Brady. Uh. We're gonna we're gonna hit on where the the wolves are at now. Obviously, uh, Britt and I talked for a long time yesterday, kind of about the month of January, specifically about uh, that last game against the Kings. We'll get into some of that stuff today, Jace. But as I was saying before we recorded, I feel like the only newsy sort of wolves thing in the past I don't know twenty four hours is Tim Connolly uh, went on went on K Fan um, with with Dan Barrero and sort of you know got the whole the whole trade deadline grilling midseason. Where is this? Where is this uh, team at? Where is it going? What's going to happen at the deadline? And I, I thought, not that it's particularly newsy, but the the one thing that just kind of stood out to me most was a little bit more detail from the team side about, <clears throat> excuse me, where where Carl is at, like in his return process. Um, it's kind of what we've been hearing for a, a lot from the team in terms of reporting on where this injury is at. He was like, we have never given any sort of timeline on what this was from the beginning. There was maybe some misreporting in there with the four to six week timetable. But he's like, it's always been indefinite for us. Dan pushed him for a timetable of of what it could be going forward. And Conley said he wanted to stay away from that. But Conley did say it is their full expectation that, and that's a quote, full expectation that Cat will be back at some point um, this season. I guess that's just my way of asking you how you are thinking about if and when Carl Anthony Towns 
comes back, like how you are baking that into your coverage, how you're baking that into the way you think about this team uh, going forward for the rest of the season? Well, just the way I'm thinking about the team, um, it's I'm forming like opinions about this group right now, uh, yeah. you know, and what they're good at, and what they're bad at. Just kind of been fun, right? Like I, I've is, actually enjoyed is, yeah. like a 30 game sample of like a group that's it's pretty much been the same group, right? Sorry, I cut you off. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, yeah, some ancillary pieces out here and there, but like it's all been very you know ant centric and seeing how guys have found their way and playing around him, um, which I think is what you see for like this organization moving forward in the long term future. So like kind of getting a first look at that um, and what type of guys fit best around him. And I'm totally ready to like throw it all out basically once Keck gets back, because it is <laughs> such a different team yeah. roster, all of it, like play it with the things they do will have to be different. Like that's, what's interesting is like, we had these thoughts of like, Oh, the wolves probably stack up like right here in the West or whatever. Mm-hmm. But once Keck gets back, it could be better. It could be worse. Um, so it's, that's, that's very interesting and makes it kind of challenging to forecast where this thing's going to go. Yeah. I, I, I'm totally with you. It is this, it is this wrinkle coming that we don't know exactly when it will come and it will completely change. It will have a, it will change what these 30 games have been. Like, I, I do think the team will remain ant focused. I don't know how it, it couldn't. Um, I think certainly more than it was in the first 20 games of the season when cap played, but I mean, there's a myriad questions, right? Of, of how Kyle Anderson fits in the mix, given how important he's been there. Um, is Kat going to just try and be feeding Rudy the whole time? Like, is is Finch going to do the thing where he spreads Cap more just as a spacer? I mean, it's all these things we've we've talked about, and, and now the time's kind of getting close. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of looking at, like, the next three markers here in the season of trade deadline on the ninth, all-star break on the 17th, whatever that is. And then probably after that, I think the Wolves' first game after All-Stars on the 24th, probably that next marker is end of February cat returns. That's just where I'm at in my head. I've said a couple times on here that's sort of been my expectation for a while is is after the All-Star break. I mean, when we talk to people around the stadium and stuff like that, right, the word has been we're waiting out this cat thing and getting them back and hoping to go on a run, right? Like that is... That is what I think both of us have heard, and you just don't know when when that time is that he's going to come back and when this when this run happens. But is there anything else we can really say about this other than that's what it is? Not really. I mean, Connolly saying like, yeah, I mean, I'm confident he'll be back this season. Uh, you know, like, and that was basically to the, the level to which he was pressed by Dan Barrera on that one. Like, the good thing about Barrero is. There are so many different radio shows guys can go on and you don't even tune in because it's just like it's not even the interviewer's fault, but you just know they're not going to get much out of it. But like Barrero, is, it's going to be pushed on every pressing topic. So like you're going to get some responses. Oh, yeah. um, so uh, like uh, Tim Connolly, who you hear some from, not a ton. Uh, but when he goes on there, he's going to be asked about everything and he's going to be asked multiple times about everything until he, he gives the true responses and they're going to be legit follow up. So, oh, like, he did. And and with D'Lo too, I mean, he he kind of hit and ever I can I think you can go listen to it on on kfan.com. I'm sure it's up there if you go to their social yeah, and, yeah. and and go back to listen to it. It what it did end up being like a solid 20 25 minutes that they had um Conley on for. So, he asked him about D'Lo too at the trade deadline um as Dan does was like, "Can you definitely say that D'Angelo Russell um will be on this team after the All-Star or after the trade deadline?" And Conley was like, it'd be disingenuous to say anybody would definitely be on the team. So the pressing didn't really get anything there, nor would it. Like, what is Conley right. going to say? Oh, yeah, we're actually probably going to trade him. Or, yeah, right, I mean, right, that would right. be like, what? Right. Or if he was like, no, definitely we're not going to. That would be almost equally bizarre. So I don't think too much newsworthy from that. I just wanted to bring up the cat thing off the top because that's going to be the next it's, thing coming up here in the discourse. It's it's. It's really, it's always, it's always part of this team's discourse too, right? Like everybody's like, where's Tat? And I think part of where's Tat is like, why is he not at the arena? And like the team has like, well, it's part of his recovery plan and whatnot. And oh, now he's in a boot and all these types of things like on social media posts. And so I guess like the lack of clarity, the lack of like really having a firm sense of the direction, Mm -hmm. like usually with so many of these injuries, like even long-term ones, it's like, oh, they will be reevaluated. 
in yeah. so many weeks. And then you ask about it and it's like, well, we think they're going to be able to return to on-court activity in two more weeks or something like that. And then that starts a slow ramp up. And there just hasn't been any of that with Cat, which I think drives some people nuts and is like, what else is going on here? Mm-hmm. But I do think it's important to note that we have had almost the exact lack of clarity with Jordan McLaughlin, yeah. uh, who has the, the who also has a calf strain, who has been out nearly the same amount of time. And they are also like, you know, I think Finch used the word inching forward here with, with J-Mac. And right. like, he's there. He's at the arena. He's in the locker room, all this other stuff. But like, just as far as returning to action, um, we're getting about the same amount as far mm-hmm. as updates of like, we'll see. Um, you know, and that's that's what's so interesting about this. Like, it'd be interesting to dive in more into this injury in general, like comparing the calf strains and like, why has this been so... I don't know. So like unclear as far as what's going on with these guys or like when they can do anything like getting any sort of timeline. And I know now the team's not going to jump to a timeline because of like what Kat had said, like on his Twitch and whatnot, like, um, you know, team said indefinite, but he's like, I don't know where these numbers came from. That was never true. So now the team's not going to push anything out there because probably not wanting to uh, upset Kat in that way. But it's, it's like I'm saying, it's just, it's the same for Towns as it's been for McLaughlin. So like, it's, it's just kind and of And you know, Jace, the boot thing has been the same too, right? Like, like J-Mac wasn't in a boot for a long time of it. Then he was in a boot. And yeah. now he's not in a boot. Yep. You know, and I, I, I don't know if and when uh, a boot goes on or, or not. I mean, Carl makes it more public with his injuries on, on his Instagram. Right. He did this. He did the same thing with um, when he got, the PRP injections in his knee and wrist that that was reported. He posted a picture of his leg um, isolated in one of those like air cast things. And that was because he got PRP injections and it ends up being, you know, like you have to isolate your leg for a while. So I just assume it's something like that of why he was put in a boot um, or now. And, and he posted it. I mean, if you just go on that sort of pattern of behavior, maybe he got a PRP injection in, in his calf. I, I don't know. We don't know exactly what's um, going on with this thing. The one thing Conley that that did strike me from that is he kind of hammered home the point of that this is complicated and particularly complicated with like a 6'11 guy who weighs 250 pounds. Uh, that medically makes some sense to my dumb medical brain uh, that it would be more complicated. And it's kind of sounded like it's one of those injuries where uh, the player star player is also seeking some of his own medical advice, which isn't rare and is kind of normal for a player who has hundreds of millions of dollars to, you know, to be doing that. So I think it's complicated. Um, I, I think that's what's what's going on here. Uh, and it might just be one of those injuries that is genuinely in indefinite uh, recovery and that four to six week whatever that was at the beginning kind of maybe distracted from how complicated this is. Yeah. And if you look like, if you just remember the night when cat went down, it was like looking at the actual leg, like as it happened, it was like, Ooh, you know, everybody's assumed Achilles tear or something, you know? So like this still in the grand scheme of like, when you watch that injury, even if it was like two to three months or whatever, three months or whatever, as you watched it, you would have been like, Oh wow, that's amazing. You know, like that's amazing. He'll be back that soon. Um, now when it gets the, the label of calf strain, you're like, Oh, three months for a calf strain. That seems like a long time, but it just, just watching it in general, like watching it on TV that night, I was like, Oh my gosh, that looks terrible. Um, so I mean, just think know, about if it was an Achilles, just th- like you're looking at a year, you know, you're looking at a year and it's an Achilles. And it's when this dude has six years and like $300 million left on his contract, you know, like, People can be frustrated with the the lack of clarity on the timetable, but that worst case scenario that was not didn't appear far away from happening was a really bad scenario. You know, if Cat would have you know actually tore his Achilles, so what all things with, considered, what was that with KD too? Like, was that a calf thing that he was coming back from, and then he suffered the Achilles? See, yeah, that that's. That's what I was thinking too, and I don't want to like totally. Speak I know, no, 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 no. I'm just saying, like, I understand a player like wanting to go as like, you sure. Know, like, I, I, if I'm a player, that's entering my mind, you know. Like, and I'm and the Wolves aren't like pushing Cat back clearly by any stretch, you know. Like, it's just, it's just like these things just are complicated and they take time. And there's like, and you know, there are different levels of severity and different ways that guys recover. Like, 
I don't really look too much into the fact of how long this is taking. I just, I really view it as something like it's going to take as long as it takes. It, and it's, it's so, uh, you know, and I always, whenever we you know, tweet out anything or get emails on, on, on this stuff, you know, people always reference, oh, well, there's, there's never been clarity on this injury stuff, you know, in the, you know, the, the Rosa's time. And I, I remember writing about that all the time and it was, it was genuinely confusing, and I think it was intentionally right. confusing because they were tanking to get Anthony Edwards. Like, obviously, they're not tanking right now and, like, <laughs> trying to make you believe Carl's going to be back or something. Like, that. I do think that happened a couple years ago. And maybe the motivation was, like, selling tickets whatever. That logic does not apply here because this team does not even have their first-round pick. So, I don't know. Injuries are tricky and annoying and reporting on them is like one of the most bizarre things in this because nobody wants to talk about it yet. Everyone wants to know about it. I'm like, okay, I guess we have to like talk and think about these things, but you know what? Now we're going to be done talking about, <laughs> about, yeah, about cat's calf. Um, over, overarching thought is just like, yeah, this is taking a while that happens, you know, like this boom. is obviously like, not like a little minor injury. It was a severe calf strain or whatever, like, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 different guys are going to recover differently and exactly what all the circumstances around it are. There are two serious calf strains on this team. They're taking a while to recover. It is what it is. And what has always happens, you can back me up here too, is once we have all this, this confusion and stuff, wait, what's the players back? We can again, start talking to them and write that in there. It's like, remember the Jake Lehman thing? We're like, what Jake Lehman, he's day to day, whatever. And then we talk to him right away. We ask him about it. He goes, Oh yeah. Right away, I knew this was like the doctors called, told me it was going to be two or three months. I tore this ligament, whatever, whatever. Like details are going to come out. And I feel particularly confident with it being Carl, who is very much a sharer. Whenever the time comes back and he has the bike in front of him, we're going to hear all about it, whether it was PRP, whether it had to get amputated and sewn back on, whatever, you know, like the details are going to come out about what this is. And I think like genuinely, it's just fun and interesting to focus on this group as it is currently constituted. Uh, It's shown us so much about Ant. That was my hope going into all of this. And so let's just keep rolling with this time. And then chapter four of the season, last chapter is how I'm thinking about it. And Carl's going to be back. And that's his whole own mystery. Let's take a break. We'll be back with Jace. We'll actually talk about some basketball. Today's show is brought to you by The Genesis Company. The Genesis Company is the MVP of the business game. With their advanced marketing techniques, they've helped over 300 brands generate over $3 billion in retail sales. So if you're an entrepreneur with any size brand or product, they're the best in the business. And for being fans of the pod, they're offering free access to their proprietary AI technology that helps founders uncover the true potential of their brand. Find out how big your brand or product should be. Don't let your competition steal the lead. Email them at grow at thegenesiscompany.com and claim your spot at the top of the game. That's grow at thegenesiscompany.com. Today's show is sponsored by Falling Knife Brewing Company located in Northeast Minneapolis. This week at Falling Knife, there'll be multiple Wolves games on their TVs and projector screens with the sound on. You're looking for a place to watch, gather with friends for the Wolves. Do it at Falling Knife with other Wolves fans who are locking in on the Wolves playoff push here. We also want to let you know about Falling Knife's Super Bowl party on February 12th. 45 bucks gets you all you can eat from Mario's in St. Paul and two free beers. If you're looking for something to do uh, for the Super Bowl, you can get those tickets by checking out Falling Knife on Twitter or Instagram at FallingKnifeBC. And then also, if you're just really into craft beer, that's what Falling Knife does. Uh, They'll be tapping a keg of their rarest, most highly rated beer. It's called Screaming for Vengeance. It is a double barrel aged imperial stout. Uh, That stout spent 18 months in a Heaven Hill barrel, then an Eagle Rare barrel from Casanova Liquors and Hudson. So check out what Falling Knife really does too, which is is make high-level beer. Uh, Whatever it is you're looking for this week, check out Falling Knife Brewing Company in Northeast Minneapolis, located off of Broadway Avenue. All right, Chase. So I wanted to talk with you a little bit about the end of that Kings game and the spread offense that they face. Britt and I went into that pretty extensively. We played the audio from Rudy talking about it after the game referenced what, uh, what Finch said. And this is something I personally enjoy doing is like thinking about different teams around the league and what they can do to 
punish other different teams' sort of weaknesses or or minimize their strengths. It's one of my favorite things about the the playoffs in, in the NBA. Like, I don't care if it's Sixers, Nets, or whatever. Like, I love watching the the chess of that in basketball. I feel like honestly, it's it's where I learn a ton about what works in the NBA and and what doesn't. And I think we've talked about a lot of these these different sort of micro things, whether it be different defensive coverages, whether it being, you know, Carl on the floor with Rudy versus like how you would handle that in a playoff series. And I think that Kings game highlighted or reminded us that one of those things in the playoffs will be teams opting to go with a spread look against the Wolves as the Kings did in overtime or not doing that. Um, How did that just isolating for that Kings game change your view or remind you that this is kind of going to be a thing for the rest of the season into the playoffs and kind of probably the entirety of the Rudy experience in Minnesota because that's what it was, you know, in, in Utah as well. Like what, where are you just at in your head with how the Wolves can or cannot handle spread defense? And then I want to talk or spread offense. And then I want to talk kind of about specific things. But where, where are you at on it? I think for me, the biggest thing about it is I don't think it like exposes Rudy Gobert um, as like, well, he can't do this. What I think it does is it does mitigate his impact defensively. Like he can't control and dominate the game defensively when you are spreading out and making him, you know, guard somebody in the corner that that literally takes him away from his element of where he most dominates the game defensively. It doesn't mean that he's all of a sudden a bad player on the court. Um, It's just that okay, now he's just another guy. Like, he's just one of five defenders. He's not, like, the defense, um, and everybody else is kind of funneling things into him. It, I think, and we'll talk more about this, I just think it puts the onus on everybody to defend when you do that, um, and and that is where more things can be exposed. Like, there's no hiding anybody anymore in, in like, a spread game. It's mm. like, you have your guy, and you have to guard your guy, because if we have to help, whoever has to help, that means that we are going into serious scramble mode and somebody's going to be left open. Yeah, there is less help that that is is the biggest thing and that was i i really liked rudy's answers he gave to us when we were asking him about that you know after the game he's like just the reality of the situation is if i'm on the ball side like i think at this point everybody can kind of picture that first malik monk drive and kick out to trey lyles right and what rudy talked about he goes if i'm on the ball side i can't be the help defender there if they have five shooters on the floor and then that help needs to if anywhere, it needs to come from the opposite side, the low man, which we kind of, it was like Jaden in that situation, but it what I is know different. Is, it is different. And what I want to know, though, is, so Rudy knows that. So did he just come help because he could sense that nobody was coming weak side? Or did he make a mistake in helping there? Like, what would, he, I, I would like to like break down these plays. Like, you say you can't be the helper. So then why were you down there? <laughs> you know, was right. that your instinct at that point? That you yes, dude, I think that's what it is. I, yeah. I, 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 re- I mean, I remember you know, there's honestly like YouTube has a ton of stuff on, on Rudy in those playoff series and stuff. And after they traded for Rudy in the summer, you know, I went and was like watching through all this stuff. I was like, okay, I really need to like comprehend what this was and what it wasn't. Cause it was totally a thing where I think quite frankly, a lot of the people um, analyzing the NBA at a, a national level did not have the skill sets to understand what was and wasn't happening. That was the ways Rudy was and was not getting uh, exposed um, offensively. But just going back and watching all of that, the error defensively I saw in Rudy, and I think is somewhat like understandable, is this natural, instinctual inclination to shade in, right? And, and when you've played your whole life as a seven-footer, the biggest guy on the floor, you you are naturally going to gravitate towards the rim and I would assume that's some real like hard wiring to to let go of and let go of that instinct like, I got think about that you know Jaden missed that three in the corner uh against Utah like Ant drives Walker Kessler who was on McDaniels like comes over to help he like came too much and I think that's because that is what Kessler is so used to doing in his basketball life the whole time is like I'm gonna prioritize taking away the rim here and I think on that play, I think Kessler came over too far. And that ended up being a great play, a great look. Like, that was a clean Jaden McDaniels corner three. That's probably not what you want to do. And I think... Nas did the exact same thing against Toronto. Ex- um, exactly. Left OG wide open. And Ant, after the game in the locker room, was like, why did you help? I told you not to help. He wasn't, <laughs> even, 
it wasn't even the guy guarding the ball there. But like, and it, Nas just like smiled, like shrugged, basically like. I know it wasn't supposed to help. <laughs> I just did it, you know. Like, but you got it's like his, it's his instinct is to yep. go block shots, you know. Like that. Yep. And and that's just in the playoffs. What Rudy will need to fight, and and the the team will need to like it will need to be recognized that it's happening. And you got maybe like one possession grace period of like adjustment. And I think Rudy recognized it after that first going back and like watching all that slow. Rudy was like. This is what this is. And he looked over the bench after that first Trey Lyles three. And at that point, what they needed to be able to do is like, we got to push this button, whatever it is. It's our shell concept. It's whatever. The rest of this overtime, we are playing this way. And and they did not do that. Because really, this was, that wasn't Rudy's first rodeo with that. But for D'Angelo Russell, Jaden McDaniels, Kyle Ant, you know, like for the, the rest of the guys, it kind of was. And so I'm almost certain they have or will be going through this because they know they're going to see it again. Like they're definitely going to see it again in the playoffs and whatever it is, you got to be able to click into what it is you're going to do there. Because if not, it's going to be a shit show where Rudy is it. it and it's going to be this whole thing where Rudy can't guard all of this stuff, which is disingenuine. Like, but they, they've got to hammer it out now because I think in the playoffs, whether it's a team like the Clippers and the Mavs who do it for 48 minutes or just some teams who do it situationally, like they are going to see spread looks in the playoffs, probably even more so when it's both Rudy and Carl on the floor. So I, I, I sent this to you in the email. When we're just looking at these Western Conference teams, which we did last year, um, or not last year, last week, we talked about in advance of playing the Grizzlies and the Pelicans and all those teams. We were talking about which team is the best matchup for the Wolves. And I, I found those those games against the Pelicans and the Grizzlies and the Kings to be informative in like, okay, we've seen what this group, this ant-led group looks like against those type of teams. We hadn't really seen that yet. And I think it kind of changed some things for me and my personal understanding of who I think the best or worst matchups are for this team in a playoff series. How did it impact you watching those those four games? Do you think differently about how the Wolves match up against the Pelicans, Grizzlies, and Kings after watching the Wolves play them last week? Um, you know, those two specifically to some degree, but I, I literally do now after watching that overtime and like, I just don't think it's something that Minnesota is going to be to the point where like they figure it out, you know, where they are like, no, we can handle that well. Um, and we can play really well against that. So I definitely watched that. And like, you just basically did out loud there. Like I think through the teams that can give you that look and can do it really without changing Mm -hmm. who they are. Um, like they, they can just play to that effect. Like I think of, and you know, these teams, unless it's like a four or five series, it's not even likely for like that. They can, that this will be like a first round matchup. It maybe could be more like a playing game, but like Phoenix can do that so comfortably, Um, you know, like whether Aiden's on the floor or not, you can take Aiden off the court and you can just play like, you know, Paul Booker bridges, uh, Johnson and, and then whoever you want at the five, like Tory Craig, Um, you know, it doesn't really matter. Um, And Dallas, obviously, quite a bit of ease you know like as they did literally to utah last year the clippers they can do it but they don't have the same level of shooting um so i don't worry as much about like if a clippers do it you don't think so what 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 makes you say that i just don't i just don't like trust those guys as a bunch of knockdown shooters okay i mean they're they're pretty good numbers wise though yes i understand that yeah i know um it's certainly not not a matchup what i would look for if i was minnesota i don't think it's a great one uh but like and then you look at like it's almost like the Grizzlies, like teams that that have fewer guys that can knock down shots, like those are the ones that I think you'd rather have Minnesota play against, which, you know, mm. Memphis is going to be like a two seed again or whatever. But that's not a matchup that matchup wise, I think, should scare Minnesota. Like even the Pelicans, like we see all the size they have. But like, I, I, I just think shooting is what should be what scares Minnesota, because I don't think they're going to match up well with shooting. I think shooting can be the thing where it's like, these guys don't belong on the same court mm-hmm. um, because they're giving up open looks again and again and again. Even the Kings, like when they had their full bone lineups out there, uh, not like going necessarily big, I thought, and correct me if you think otherwise, but I thought Sacramento got a lot of good looks from three and they just didn't knock them down oh, in yeah. two games as Herder was like, has fallen off a cliff right now. Um, 
So I, th- I think Sacramento is also a team that would give Minnesota problems in a playoff series too. So I, I had I had Sacramento as of the options as the most ideal matchup. Okay. For this and and to be honest, I don't think any of them really are. Like okay, so let's assume the Wolves finish. What about what about Memphis from a matchup perspective? Do you not like? And now we saw him play without Desmond Bain, and that. Desmond Bain is just a huge part of their offense because they need his scoring, frankly, I think, to be like an elite-level team. But what about Memphis do you really not like from the matchup perspective? Do I not? the? I mean, the offensive rebounding threat, okay. I think, is is could be really problematic for this team. General physicality. Um, I, I, I liked it better last year when they had more of that, the fly-around thing, right? The, the aggression, the putting the two on the ball with Ja, I think, and that being their defensive identity, um, I think the Grizzlies were a team where that look worked well against. That was the ideal type of team to run that against. You know, get the ball out of Jaws' hands, right? Um, that's not as that's not the identity of of the Wolves' defense this year. The aggressive coverage, particularly when Gobert's on the floor. And if you think about it in the playoff series, like Gobert's gonna be playing like thirty six to forty minutes a game. You know, barring foul trouble. So I don't think. I thought it was a really good matchup for the Wolves last year with the Grizzlies. I think given how their roster has changed um, and the way they defend, I think it's different now. But the physicality and offensive rebounding problems remain. So the things they were good in that matchup, I think, went down and the issues that were there still remain. So I I, I still have them as a hard matchup, though. I I do. I have them third on my list. Okay. see, Ja has not been... Like his volume numbers have been fine, but shooting numbers have been bad. Um, mm-hmm. In yeah. three matchups against Minnesota again this year, eleven for twenty-five, eight for twenty, and ten for twenty-one. I just even watching that last game, and I felt this all year. And I know like playoff series extend beyond that. Playoff games in general extend beyond mm-hmm. that. That's why Memphis won last year's series. But like, I feel this. I felt this way in the playoffs last year. I feel it after watching three games this year. Like Memphis cannot score against Minnesota in the half court. Um, and that yeah. that is something that I I think will just and maybe Jaden on Jaw is just enough. You know, Jaden's gotten better as a defender. Maybe you don't need to put two on him. Maybe Jaden can just navigate that decently well enough, regardless of of what the what the coverage is. Like you're right, it has still the Wolves have still looked good against against Memphis. Actually, so so this is the way this is the way I let me just read off these teams. So the way I looked at them, I gave you the list of eight teams. It's basically the top eight in the West right now. Um, I think if the Wolves finish somewhere between four and eight, assuming they get out of the play in, like the teams they could match up with are the Nuggets, Grizzlies, Kings, Pelicans, Clippers, Mavs, Suns, Warriors. And I kind of put those into three different groups. I think I think you have the Nuggets, Grizzlies who go in a pair because I think they're the two best teams in, in the Western Conference. I think the Kings and Pelicans I put in a group for the wolf, like as as how they match up against the wolves, kind of lack of experience there too. I factored in, and then with the Clippers, Mavs, Suns, and Warriors, I think in that group you have teams that can spread this team out. Plus, they have more experience. Plus, they have kind of two guards or two perimeter isolators who I think could hurt this team. That's that's been a problem for this team is needing to defend multiple defend the point of attack on multiple defenders. So I actually have the Clippers, Mavs, Suns, and Warriors as the hardest matchups. I agree with that. Yeah. Which they're they're in the the bottom of the the standings, right? I mean, it's kind of weird. And I I put the Mavs down as the hardest because I really think Luka would pick at it. Um, And, and, you know, not not a huge amount of distinction here. But if if I listed it off, I said Mavs hardest, Clippers, then Warriors, then Suns. Those would be the four toughest matchups for me, for the Wolves. And then I go to the next tier, which is a little bit easier. It sounds weird because, again, I think Grizzlies and Nuggets are the best teams. But I think if I were the Wolves, I would rather play the Grizzlies or Nuggets than the Suns, Warriors, or Clippers, or Mavs. And then that leaves the two remaining being the Kings and Pelicans. And between that, I would, I think I would prefer the Kings. I think the Kings are the best first round matchup for the Wolves uh, of this group. But that's ironic given, given the fact that they expose the Wolves with a five out offense. I just don't think you're going to see that or them lean as much into that in a playoff series. 
when Sabonis is going to be on the floor. The only reason they really got to that was because Sabonis was off the floor. I don't think you can spread the Wolves out if Sabonis is on the floor. So that's kind of the way, you know, I thought about it. And to be fair and transparent, like I said a different thing last week when we were going through that. Where I'm yeah. at right now on February 1st, I think the the Kings and Pelicans are the easiest and the hardest ones are those experienced Clippers, Mavs, Suns, Warriors teams. Yeah, and that's where like the Kings, Minnesota defended them pretty well. Like I said, though, I thought Sacramento generated some good looks and missed them. Like I think different shooting nights, we can watch those games and be like, ooh, Sacramento is tough for Minnesota to defend. I'm with you on the fact Sabonis is always going to be on the floor. I do wonder, like, at the 10 minutes he doesn't play in a playoff series now, does Sacramento play keep playing Metu, or do they just go small in those minutes? You know, if Gobert is on the court. Like, it, it's a total chess game but, of how to rotation this Exactly, out. that's what I was saying. Like, like, if and, it's and only then, 10 and, minutes, then yeah, just... Yeah, then the Wolves would be like, okay, well, then Gobert's not on the court in those yep. 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it, it would literally probably be, like, kind of that simple. Um, but, yeah... I actually like like the Suns as like maybe the most difficult team if they're yeah. totally healthy. Uh, that's probably the most difficult thing to diagnose. But like Dallas has like the, they can spread you out really well. But I just don't trust like in general. My thought on Dallas is like they've got these perimeter shooters. They don't ever seem to shoot as well at target center. Um, <laughs> it, like they're not as good. They're like their role players just aren't yeah. as good on the road. You know, and that's that's common for a lot of role players. But like when I look at Phoenix and I know like. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, you know, Bridges and Johnson. Like, I trust those guys anywhere. And that's four guys that Minnesota has a tough problem matching up with. Totally. Um, so I think when they're healthy, I think Minnesota has an awful time matching up with Phoenix. And I think we've seen that in the past. Golden State is kind of in that same boat. Like, tonight's going to be really interesting of uh, seeing how Minnesota defends Golden State and how that yeah. looks. Because I, Golden State's playing pretty well. They're playing pretty well with the small ball lineup with Draymond at the five. Um, Draymond's obviously not like a shooter, so you can still play Gobert. Um, really, even more as like a free safety role right. if he's on Draymond, which I think is probably Minnesota's best look. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm I'm in general agreement with you that even the Nuggets, like you know that that game where they lost in Denver, like they didn't have Gobert in that game, yeah. correct? Yeah, like, you know, like like so it's I love like that they can put somebody else on Jokic and then have Gobert kind of roam. Like mm-hmm. now, ideally, I think for Denver, Aaron Gordon probably plays better than he did at Target Center and makes right. more shots. Um, to make that, you have to go away from that look. But like anybody with a five that you can like, Minnesota can play more chess with with Rudy Gobert, a five that has to be on the court. Uh, I think helps Minnesota out a lot. Totally, uh, it, it it starts with the front court, right? Like where can you best put? I think what we said last week. Where can you put Rudy best to weaponize him defensively? And then simultaneously with cap back, which this one's way more of an open question is like, how do you handle the matchup at the four? Because, you know, it it was the beginning of the season where the wolves were bad and on a lot of ways. And Carl was chasing cam Johnson around and you go rewatch that game right now. And, and people will be like, Oh yeah, this is the worst matchup. This is the worst matchup for the wolves. And is, is that Suns one? I don't know. Like it's hard to say, right? Was that the beginning of the season? Have they figured some stuff out? Not with Carl on the floor, they haven't. But that's why, yeah, I just kind of put all four of those teams, Suns, Warriors, Clippers, Mavs, as the toughest um, because they can't, they have the option to spread you out. They have experience, will have had more experience in the playoffs. And then specifically, the Jason Kidd and Ty Lu with, with Dallas and the Clippers, like they know they have literally done a playoff series against Rudy and found things that worked against them. So if I had to pick two, that's why I would put them there. The the interesting thing for Minnesota is like the thing with Rudy and they spread you out and now it's individual on ball defense. It's being, it's under a microscope. Like the Wolves have a roster where they can defend that. It just doesn't include two of their highest paid players. Like (laughs) cat on the floor. doesn't really work. Deal on the floor. doesn't really work. But like, otherwise, if you look at it with like, you know, Jaden, you know, that basketball index chart, I think a lot of people probably saw, like, he's had some of the best on-ball defense in the NBA this year. Like, yeah. the best, frankly, by that chart. Um, and and then you've got Ant, who we've seen, like, in big moments, one-on-one defense. And that's what this is, you know, in, like, yeah. spread offense. It is a concept of playing one-on-one defense. Ant's great at it. Austin Rivers has been pretty solid at it. Uh, and then you can find, like, a Torian Prince or whoever else. And now you're like, yeah, okay, I don't think we have a bad matchup out there. But, like... <laughs> D'Lo and or Cat are going to be on the court and that's what creates these problems. So that's where like we could, the Wolves can practice the spread defense. They can practice it tonight. We can see if it looks better. 
it doesn't matter because when Cat's on the court, the whole dynamic of that's going to change. Mm-hmm. And it will change, too, for the positive on the other on side offense. of the offense. And Which, that was a big thing of the Sacramento mm-hmm. game. Like, yes, the whole idea is you have to be able to like punish the other team, and you do that with Rudy via, you know, lobs and mm-hmm. offensive rebounds, and maybe they would have done all that, but they had a couple bad possessions, they had a couple turnovers that just didn't even give them the opportunity to do so. Absolutely, the offense completely stalled out. And fact of the matter, any of these teams, what, the the Wolves in the play when they have cap back. They need to be a better, to win a series, they need to be a better offensive team than they are a defensive team. And right now for the regular season, they are unambiguously a better defensive team than they are offensively, right? I mean, they're, I think they're ninth on defense and 21st on offense as we, for the season that's, as we, as we let's sit here today. And and that needs to, that needs to flip. I, I think uh, the whole in, identity in the of this team will change. It, it has to change yes. because with an ant centric team. You can be a pretty good defensive team because you have Rudy in there. Like, like I mentioned, you have some perimeter defenders. Like, mm-hmm. and you can be pretty solid on that end. And an ant offense can just be good enough. You yeah. know, like he can kind of be your offense and deliver enough spurts um, to where you are good enough to win games. And when Cat's out there, you're right. The whole thing has to switch. You have to be unstoppable offensively because you are not going to be as good on defense. Let's take one more break. I want to talk a little bit about ant specifically, the ant offense, and then we'll talk a little bit about the the Warriors. Matchup tonight back with Jace in a minute. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual, because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamins. Ingredients are 100% traceable. It's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. All right, Jace, uh, as we were watching the Kings game on Monday, we both were really recognizing like that's as much as any team has loaded up on Ant. Uh, it, ter- it, it like at one point I tweeted out during the game. I'm like, this looks like a zone because they have they was like the boxes and elbows, as coaches say. It was like the Wolves could have two players in the corners and the guys regarding them were like on the block. And then the two wing guys were at the elbows like it was it looked almost like a box and one. And it's because teams right now are so focused on on taking ant away their break glass in case of emergency is just throwing that double at him right when he crosses half court but their preference is ant come into what is functionally a double we're going to be showing you multiple bodies and we don't really trust that the other players around you can really punish us now to be fair those players kind of have been i mean delo specifically over the past month but i'm really curious to see like how many teams kind of like hit the gas on it? It's kind of like the double with Cat in the post last year where we were like, what the hell? Why don't you just double? Like, why don't you put a small odd Cat and bring the double every single time? I think it's kind of against the Wolves right now, teams. 
it's interesting night to night be like, how much attention are you going to give to Ant? Overall, the attention is ramping up. That was the most loaded up I'd seen any team on Ant, I think, all season. What about you? And it's interesting that it came in the second game of two straight games. Like that was like the adjustment. Was, yep. We need to do this even harder. Um, and I think it worked to the sense that like Ant turned the ball over some. And the offense was definitely not fluid at different parts of the game. Um, we, we, we talked about like kind of the D'Lo Ant like give and take thing. It's definitely been because teams are coming into games thinking like we have got to stop Anthony Edwards. Mm-hmm. And it is creating a lot. It's like loosening up for everybody else. And so D'Lo, when he's hitting these first quarter shots, so many of them are coming like catch and shoot. Like Ant's kind of making the defense collapse, kick, kick. D'Lo wide open shot and he's knocking them down. Mm-hmm. And then it seems like in the second half of games, teams are like, okay, well, we have to at least put a little more attention on Russell. Um, and I think that's freed some stuff up for Ant then. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like it's, it's all about guys knocking down shots. And they've done that to a large degree. Um, like you mentioned, you know, Kyle Anderson shooting the ball while Torian Prince shooting the ball while Delo shooting the ball well. I don't think that's any coincidence that yeah. it's a product of Ant. Like right. Ant is making these field goal percentages go up because these looks are so clean, so open, so like just easy catch and shoots. Like it, we talk about star players elevating their teammates. Like Ant is doing that on the offensive end. Like mm-hmm. it, it might not always look like it. It might be like, oh, four assists or whatever, but it's like a hockey assist. And it's because guys are just having no attention paid to them. Like I tweeted out the one Torian Prince clip, like (laughs) he is one pass away. And there's a Jalen Noel clip like this from, I think when they played Memphis earlier this, this month, like Torian Prince is one pass away. Torian Prince has been an excellent three point shooter this year. And the help defender is so much in the gap that it's just a one pass and Torian Prince is wide open. Like, like, like if you're playing five on nobody, you would do Mm -hmm. Um, and Jalen Noel, there was one against Memphis where they passed to Jalen Noel and his defender is like three steps off of them. So Jalen Noel just drives to the bucket <laughs> like against Nobody and scores. And and that's I think there's more of that out there for Ant mm-hmm. if he recognizes it more and more, especially as he gets in these grooves where he's just scoring points with ease. Like I know that he's thinking I'm in go mode, but these defenses then are collapsing even more in these moments. Right. And I think if he can more balance the yes, OK, I'm drilling shots right now, but wait, oh they are like all the way in on me and these other easy passes are there. Like, I think there's an even higher level to this, but I have not seen a player in Minnesota get this type of like cat was just in the post, you know, like, and, and I guess to some degree up top, like on his drives, team would still kind of sag in like that too. But, and it's like they want, like you said, sometimes they just want to throw the second defender right away because it's like, we can't stop this guy driving to the basket. So to me, it's like, if Ant sees two, whether it be the double right away or he kind of brings himself into two, it's like if he can make the pass from there without it getting stolen, money, right? Without the turnover happening. Like it's that Torian Prince look, it's it's going to be a swing swing into something that should like give you well over a point per possession, right? You know, clean, clean looks if you can get the pass. The problem is and an ant's ability to navigate to has been praised by all of his teammates by Chris Finch. And I think that's because it's definitely a progression from where he was a year ago, seeing doubles and his ability to get off of it. I think what we need to acknowledge though, is it has not been good. Like it it has not like in the aggregate been good. This is like, so synergy does a, a thing where they, they go through pick and rolls and it's just overall, pick and roll numbers um if you do pick and rolls that include passes ant is of the 31 highest um pick and roll players in the league he's has the fifth most fifth highest turnover rate of that but if you do it to when the defense commits which is like basically i was just going back i was like okay what do they exactly mean by the defense committing and i watched the the ones against sacramento and it's basically it's basically sabonis when he's as the big, he's up and he's committing to Ant. It's not like full high wall, but it's like definitely not in a drop. A more aggressive coverage in a pick and roll. And Ant has been really bad against that in terms of turnovers. Of the 39 players in the league who have ran over 250 pick and rolls where the defense has committed, only Jalen Green turns it over more. Because Jalen Green the most, Anthony Edwards the second most. Kevin Porter Jr., the third most. And I think that's really telling in that kind of in two ways that we've watched Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. And they're 
sloppy offensive players, right, in terms of the frequency that they turn it over. They're also very young players. Um, I would assume they get better at that over time. And Anthony Edwards is the same age as those kids, you know. So I think Anthony Edwards will get better at this navigating. It's like you just kind of scroll through the list. It's almost like an age progression. Sure. Like the bet here, who's the best in it? Fred Van Vliet, you know, like he's been seeing that for six years in a row. So I just want to point out why? that it's it, it has still been messy with Ant when he's facing doubles in, in this from a turnover standpoint. Why do the Wolves even run pick and rolls with Anthony Edwards? Because they have Rudy Gobert. I mean, I don't know. I go yeah, both but, ways. You know, you mentioned more about like, you know, you mentioned how much Rudy was in the dunker spot. Um, yeah, I like that. Re- recently. And I, and I do too. Like, well, the whole point of pick and roll is kind of to like either generate, uh, you know, give the ball handler easier access to like get to the lane. But like, mm-hmm. Ant's never going to get that. Um, you know, they're paying so much attention to him. So, and then it's to get two on the ball handler and Ant gets that before there's a pick and roll. Like, mm-hmm. so you've kind of already achieved it just with him up top so if he just realizes that there and i think it's easier for him to see the floor in those instances as well like yeah i think just giving ant the ball up top and saying like okay read the defense like if they're not squeezing in at the elbows go ahead um if they are hit you know, get off it quick yeah, right. yeah exactly like i think that's much easier offense for him right now than trying to put him in pick and roll situations i get it like you have rudy gobert but just put rudy down in the dunker spot mm-hmm. let ant kind of navigate the offense he's not a good pick and roll player we've seen that for a couple years now he will get there probably i mean hopefully that's that's the plan but i don't i don't think it's a necessity right now yeah and i I think and i don't actually don't feel bad about nitpicking at ant right now because i think on the last seven episodes i've like made a case for why he should be an all-star right and And, and the numbers have been incredible but and and has like anybody if you ever like say something negative about Ant, people jump on you um, you know, he's 21, blah, blah, blah. Why aren't you saying this about X, Y, and Z? Well, we do say about X, Y, and Z. But Ant is like number one dude in the locker room of like, yeah, I need to be better at this. I'm terrible yeah. at this. He loves Chris Finch because Chris Finch coaches him so hard and says like, this was terrible, this was terrible, and this was terrible. And that's what Ant responds to. So like, Ant's a, Ant has no problem like taking on criticism and whatnot. Like, so if he can handle it, everybody else should be able to handle it <laughs> being criticized as well. Like, that's how players grow. That's how they develop. Um, it's all part of his process, and he he understands that. And and I, this is certainly not true across the the media landscape, but I think for the both of us, when we are doing the nitpicking, it's trying to highlight where things can get better, right? And and sure. in this one, we just think this will get better over time. I'm just pointing out that it's not, which actually is. A, I think you could look at that as a positive thing of like, wait, Anthony Edwards is putting up all these numbers. The Wolves went 11 and five in January on his back and he still turns it over a crazy amount. We're just diagnosing where the turnovers are coming from and if or not, that will change over time. This is where they're coming from and yes, we think it will change as he gets better at reading all these things as he becomes a better pick and roll player. I mean, this is the one fly in the ointment of of Ant's offensive game right now i'm honestly at the point like another one we talked about before over the past two and a half years is the shot selection and the frequency of mid-range jumpers i'm getting to the point where i'm like some of these mid-range these are like nasty like it is a good look like when ant can get it particularly if it's like in there at like 12 feet and that looks easy for him they're running more actions to get him that they're starting games with that elbow catch for him in isolation to just go and try and get like a 14 footer right away. Like I think we've kind of plucked that fly out of the ointment. Now, obviously a mid range shot is always in the context of the overall, like what it generates isn't great, but like when Ant isn't on the floor, taking that mid range jumper in those situations, if he wasn't, it's probably a worse shot that, that you would have gotten on, on average. I think that could is moving in the direction towards really becoming a weapon and the only thing that hasn't progressed to me is the turnovers. And like an ant level player needs to have that in his game, right? Because teams are so focused on like take away the arc and take away the rim for this guy. So like where is he going to be left with space to shoot the ball? Mm-hmm. It is the mid-range. Like and he is becoming one of those guys who's so comfortable there that like that's just another weapon in his arse like mm-hmm. in his arsenal. You know, like Kevin Durant, you're not like a 15 footer man. Come on. Like either get <laughs> yeah. to the rim or shoot the three. Um, and like, yeah, he's so comfortable. He creates space in those mm-hmm 
you know, those little areas, like what he did in the last few minutes where he just kind of wove through the Sacramento defense and, and hit that one shot. Like that was such a special play. Like he's getting so good in those areas that, yeah, I don't look at those as like a bad shot. It's not what you want your offense to be built mm-hmm. around. Um, but in like the last five minutes of games or whatever, or when he really feels like he's cooking, like, okay, you know, like that's fine to mix it in, in those moments. It, so he's still just looking at it right here. 37% from mid-range on this season. That is well That's below bad. average from yep. from wings. It is a progression. Your rookie year, 30% from mid-range. Second year, 33%. Now up to 37%. I mean, I guess I could cut this for, I bet it's better, you know, in, in January. Um, but it, it, it I some people probably like looking at the stats and aggregate, like, what the hell are Dane and Jace talking about right now? This is you the know? shooting for everybody. This is like everybody's numbers you know like like the things that were so bad in november and and mm-hmm. still like holding on holding the numbers down now it's it's very interesting to look at overall numbers versus what you're seeing in the moment mm, actually i just did it for january so those 16 games the best ant month everything still only 38 percent from mid-range okay um but I, I i still stand to my point of like situationally i think it's the best thing that they can get and in the fourth, oh my God, look at that. 62% from the corner in January and 40% overall from three. I mean, he, it, again, we are, we are picking nits here. And the one I'm focused on right now is the turnovers. And that was, that was the overtime. Like, again, just as much as the sacks spread offense hurt him, like the, the turnovers on offense were even worse. Like, that was, that was the bigger problem in overtime. That just wasn't a new thing, right? You know, like we kind of been, been seeing that throughout the year. Um, let's, uh, Jason, let's wrap this up unless you have anything else. You got anything else on it? Nope. Nothing pressing. Um, so let's, let's wrap this up with, with prize picks. We're actually going to do a basketball one, um, for, for today, no NFL games on, on Sunday. So we're just kind of looking at the slate of wolves, warriors, um, picks that, that are on the board right now. Uh, oftentimes they're not up when, when we record, I think it's cause they're playing the warriors. Uh, those are all posted there. So we got, it's kind of like the Wolf starters and the Warrior starters, points, rebounds, assists. You can kind of combine all of those um, into uh, a number that you would pick that they'll get more than um, or less than. What what stood out to you on the board in Wolves-Warriors tonight? Yeah, I think the first one was Ant's points total, 28 and a half. He's soaring over that largely here in, in, in recent games. And so like, it's tough not to take the over there. It is interesting. Like say he draws like an Andrew Wiggins mashup, like Wiggins, pretty good one-on-one defender, mm-hmm. certainly against Minnesota will bring some extra juice, but like, I'll just, I'll just go off what I've been seeing and like ant 20 and 28 and a half over is, I don't know. It seems kind of like easy money right now. It just does feel like with ant now, right. That you can kind of pencil in like every night, 25, five and five, which is crazy you know like, i i mean i thought ant would get to that point at, at some time i i think i said this yesterday like i did not expect this at at 21 years old like the like, we're also talking about like flies in the ointment with him consistency hasn't been one of them either like they got they got rid of that right. he has consistently been bankable for being a being a stat stuffer so i'm i'm with and i had no problem uh with an ant over uh, the one I liked most was, of course, I went to Andrew Wiggins playing against the Wolves. His his total for points, rebounds, and assists is 22 and a half. I mean, I feel like he's going to get 20 uh, just points uh, against yeah. the Wolves. <laughs> Wiggins isn't a big rebounder or assister unless it's the NBA Finals. But I think Andrew Wiggins will have more than 22 and a half points, rebounds, assists. And then uh, the other one that that just stood out to me, I was just kind of quickly clicking through that this morning, but uh, blocks plus steals. D'Angelo Russell and Jade McDaniel's had the same number at, oh. at one and a half, and I was like, "Okay, that doesn't really make sense to me." I looked it up. Deal is averaging one point one steals per game and point four blocks, and Jaden is averaging one steal and one block a game. So I, I guess Jaden's averaging over one and a half. Uh, it kind of surprised me that Delos was even close there. I mean, he's only had two steals in, I think it was 12 games this season. He had like one game where it was like seven and a couple when it was like five. So I don't think on average we should be expecting D'Angelo Russell to have one and a half blocks plus steals per game. So I'm going less than one and a half uh, on that for D'Lo. 
I will say, like, D'Lo is somebody where, like, his steals are often, like, kind of find the loose ball or whatever. And, like, Golden State does just throw the ball around a lot. That's um, a good point, and, actually. And and Jaden, like, on the ball, it's, I would say, like, D'Lo, I would say D'Lo is more likely to get it than Jaden. I don't really? know if either will. Um, but, yeah, that's not what I'm picking either. I'm just. I, it was just, it was just interesting. You, you, we, we talk about, like, D, you know. Jade McDaniels, one of the best perimeter defenders, and DeAndre Russell, that like that's a weakness. And they have the they have the same that shows you how bad box score defensive stats are. Because maybe you're right, you know, maybe Delo does have have more than Jaden tonight. I guess that that's not crazy. What was what was your uh what was your other pick? Yeah, I'm going Draymond over seven and a half assists. And this is like a good line for him because I mean in this last five games, he had 12 against OKC, but then he had seven, seven, seven the three games mm. prior. I just think Minnesota is going to sag off of him as everyone does to a massive degree. But like, I, I think green will probably find some teammates for easy buckets or just working off of him where it's the dribble handoffs, all that stuff. Like I expect Draymond green to have a very high assist total um, and have a sneaky good game. It, that is going to be the interesting thing about this game, right? Is, is just how they function again, even like the spread offensive last night aside, it's just a different look and the golden state yep. is playing differently now with Draymond at the five, I mean, Looney's going to play some, but he's now coming off the bench. So that will like kind of be like the Nas minutes that would match up with Looney more. So like when Rudy's on the floor, the starters are on the floor. I think the majority of the time it's going to be a, a spread look, even if it's not a five shooter look um, from Golden State. So um, I'm it's interested a, to see. How do you think they all match up tonight? Uh, like say the Wolves tried out the same starting five. They usually do. Um, does it go Jaden on Curry? Anton Poole? Oh, I was thinking D'Lo on Clay and Anderson on uh, yeah. Wiggins. That that's kind of what I was thinking. That's not like normally how. And then Draymond on or Rudy on Draymond. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not one that like makes perfect sense. Like we've also kind of seen the Wolves put D'Lo on that in the starting lineup on that second perimeter creator. So I could see him on Poole too. Do you want that's just a tough ask? That's 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 but a so is Clay. Like Yeah, I, that's true. But Poole is the guy who I think on the ball could make Dilo look worse. You know, where mm-hmm. Clay, it's like, okay, your task is to run around with Clay. You know. Right. Uh but it's it's Golden State will just tax Minnesota. Like they will they will push them as they do to a lot of teams. But like mm-hmm. this is really going to tax Minnesota's just general perimeter defense because you're asking everybody to do it. Yeah, it, it is as much of a matchup in the league, I think right now where the wolves are just significantly bigger than their opponent. And even without cat, it, it's that it what well, come playoffs too. Like I, I don't know right now if that's an advantage or disadvantage for this team. Uh, it kind of needs to become one, I think, cause it is baked into their identity size, not just height, but, but length as well. Um, and this will be a test of that. Cause I don't, you're not going to get much smaller teams than uh, than what Golden State thirty five is. So I don't want to overanalyze this matchup because I know like it's only like five hours where this podcast exists before the game starts. But I'm interested to see like the transition. Like Minnesota had gone a little bit more on the offensive glass recently, and Jane McDaniel's had even said like he got more license to go for the offensive glass than get back in transition. Yeah. And I think part of that's like not Rudy and Carl playing together, just Rudy. So transition defense comes a little more naturally, uh, but Golden State's playing really, really fast and getting up and down. And they always do. They like push, they will push when it's not even smart to do so. They did so, against like, the wolves. Remember that? Yes, I mean, yeah, they was like, like 21 to five dumb, or something. Yeah. Dumb turnovers because they're yeah. just pushing every single play, mm-hmm. but Minnesota's advantage here should be on the offensive glass. Like, yeah. so like that balance of like, are you trying to keep up with Golden State getting back? Or are you trying to do, what should be like your forte in this game, it's going to be a very interesting kind of give and take there. What do you think will happen? Like, do you think they will go more? Like, I don't know what Finch will do there. I don't know either. Um, I I don't know. I mean, I, Rudy should go offensively on the offensive yeah. glass and everybody else probably won't. Everybody mm-hmm. else will probably get back. Yeah, no, I, I think that, again, interesting matchup. Just given that it it is an opponent that should be able to expose some of the things that are weaknesses. And it is opponent that the Wolves should be able to scrape back weaknesses uh, against as well. And it's against a team that's a lot more veteran experienced, all that stuff. And they're playing playing at a high level right now. Like, I think this is going to be a tough game for the Wolves tonight. And obviously, sometimes that just means they're going to play better given the opponent. 
Um, but it's another one where it will be one of those. If the Wolves win this game, I'll be like, all right, like respect. Like that is a that is a good win. I mean, I know it's home and everything, but Golden State is playing well. We talked last week about how they're catching all these teams, catching the Pelicans in the midst of a big losing streak. The Grizzlies have been struggling. You know, now you're now you're getting Golden State, who's playing really well. Even Orlando, um, who they play on Friday, has just beat Philly. They're playing really well. Yeah, yeah. Something like I, I don't remember. Like they have an over 500 record, I think, in their last 25 games or so. So yes, it's still like this time, this homestand, the six game homestand is critical. You drop that one against the Kings, um, but I, I still think you got to go like four or four and two, five and one. Uh, in this homestand, and I don't think that's going to be necessarily a, an easy slate for them because Denver's the the sixth and final one of that homestand as well. Like we were saying, they match up decently against, but that's obviously one of the best teams um, in in the NBA. So as always, we have no idea what this team is going to do uh, against against anyone, uh, but it could be good, it could be bad, uh, to be determined. Again, if you want to play prize picks along with uh, Jason and I, and you're listening to this. On Wednesday before the game, they do have the Wolves-Warriors slate up there. Uh, maybe you've been playing along with us with our NFL picks. So you have an account uh, and you can try out some NBA. If you don't, if you're very annoyed by our NFL segments out here, you're like, why are they talking about football at a basketball podcast? Fair. Um, this was at least basketball related. So you can you can check that out on prizepicks.com or on the PrizePicks app. Promo code Dane for a $100 sign-up bonus. Not a sports book. It's Daily Fantasy. So you can play um, in Minnesota. Uh, Jace, appreciate you doing it. I'll see you at the stadium here in a couple hours. Looking forward to it. All right. He's Jace Frederick. Follow him on Twitter at Jace Frederick. Uh, you can read his article up at the Pioneer Press. Uh, he wrote about the spread offense that the Wolves uh, struggled against against the Kings on, on Monday. So give that a read. And you can always listen to Jace every Wednesday here with me. Uh, until then, he's Jace. I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah Green and hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah Don't let Santa's ever, ever bring you down, yeah Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah